Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone has had a great week so far. If you have not listened to Monday's episode, we covered foreign policy. So that means that we talked about those Middle East peace treaties that Donald Trump has recently accomplished. And so if you have been wondering about that, if you've been wondering what those actually mean, the implications, why they are important, go back and listen to that episode. Of course, you guys know if you have been listening to Monday's episodes that we are comparing the Trump ticket versus the Biden ticket on a variety of issues. And so Monday we covered foreign policy. So go back and listen to that if you are interested. Today we We are mostly talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her death, what this all means, why we are anticipating perhaps more chaos and more craziness than we have ever seen in America's political process, at least in recent memory. Certainly in my lifetime, I would say probably in my parents' lifetimes as well. Um, it's it's going to be crazy, guys. And I will explain a little bit more about why today. She was uh, 87 years old and she died of complications with pancreatic cancer. She has had pancreatic cancer for about 10 years and she has been fighting hard for the past decade, at least the past decade. Uh, there were several times over the past few years that she She was in the hospital and people thought that she was going to die and she kept pushing through. And that was really her reputation as a fighter, as someone who pressed on. She had a very um, difficult life in a lot of ways. If you read about her story, how her husband had cancer and she was raising her daughter at the time while also going to school and working. And she just is uh, a a great picture of what the American dream looks like and what it looks like to kind of put your mind to something and uh, determine to have um, have an impact where you want to have it. And she certainly did in the realm of uh, equal rights for women. Of course, I did not agree with her on the issue of abortion and on a variety of issues and actually believe that she made a very negative impact on American culture and American politics through many of the decisions that she made and the positions that she held. Nevertheless, she did have a very notable life. And of course, according to the left, she has been hailed as a hero, which we will talk about a little bit more in just a second. Uh, The reality is, is that she has now met her maker, which we all will one day, uh, the true, righteous, all-powerful judge who is Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, there's some theological misunderstanding that uh, Jesus doesn't judge anyone, that he is just kind of this hippie hipster guy who just comes along for the ride of your life and tells you how awesome and beautiful you are. That is uh, a misunderstanding that has eternal implications. Jesus Christ is uh, the judge of the living and the dead, as 2 Timothy 4.1 says. And all of our destiny is to meet him one day, to stand before him one day. He is our only hope of redemption, our only hope of salvation, of being approved and found innocent is his blood. That's it. John 14.6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So as we reflect on our own finiteness in light of this incident and our own fragility, let us remember Hebrews 3.15, which says, As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Uh, there is also no 
no reason for us as Christians when someone we uh, like or when someone notable dies to throw our theology out the window. Uh, Jen Hatmaker, who of course I do not agree with on most theology, she uh, posted on Instagram that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has heard the words, well done, uh, good and faithful servant, you may now enter your rest. Well, I don't know that. And I'm sure Jen Hatmaker doesn't know that. I hope that's true. I, I sincerely do. I hope Christ saved her before she died. I want everyone to be saved. But the fact of the matter is we don't know. We don't ascribe salvation to people left or right simply because they uh, believe in our politics and we align with them ideologically. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we can't honor and recognize the amazing life that she lived in many ways. She was the first female tenured professor at Columbia University. She fought for for, like I said, gender equality, equality in the workplace, anti-discrimination against women. She also fought for abortion so-called rights. Uh, now, she did actually disagree with the decision of Roe because she believed that it stymied the democratic process of um, of deciding upon uh, abortion law in a legislative way, which I agree with that it should have always been a legislative issue that it shouldn't have been uh, ruled upon by seven justices who decided that somewhere in the nooks and crannies and the implications and the subliminal messages of the Constitution that there is some newfound right to kill your unborn child. Now, she would disagree with me on that, but we do agree on the fact that it shouldn't have been a decision made by the court. It should have always gone to Congress. And that is what would happen, by the way, if Roe v. Wade were overturned. A lot of liberals are very scared about that, that if Trump gets to uh, nominate and the Senate confirms another judicial judicial nominee, that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. And they've talked about it being like the handmaid's tale. Well, abortion is not going to go away if Roe v. Wade is overturned. All that means is that it's going to be up to the states to determine whether or not they want to allow abortion or uh, determine what kind of regulations and restrictions will surround abortion. There will no longer be a recognition of a so-called constitutional right to kill your child, which, of course, I believe has never actually existed. Um, and so you are still going to be able to go to any moderate or liberal state to get an abortion if Roe v. Wade is over. Overturned. It does not abolish abortion by any means. It just leaves it up to the states, which is how it should have always been. Now, I do want to clarify as well. It seems like a lot of people, a lot of feminists seem to think that uh, RBG was the first female Supreme Court justice. She was not. Sandra Day O'Connor was the first female Supreme Court justice, and she was appointed by Ronald Reagan. By the way, Sandra Day O'Connor is still alive, like 90 years old. You don't hear from her, but 90 years old, still alive, never became a feminist icon because she was a conservative. Uh, RBG, on the other hand, was idolized. She is idolized because she, like all Democratic appointees, uh, always went with whatever was trending in the Democratic Party. She mostly did not care what the law actually said. She was not concerned with constitutional interpretation. She was going to make the law say whatever she wanted it to say, whatever was popular among the left at the time, according to her ideology. 
That is the main difference between Democratic appointees and Republican appointees. Democrats appoint activists. They are not interested in constitutionalism. Uh, A lot of Democrats, especially now, uh, see the Constitution and American institutions as actually an impediment to their ideology and accomplishing what they want. Republicans appoint constitutionalists because that is what we want to conserve. We believe in the founding ideals of our country. We believe in the efficacy, effectiveness, the, the goodness of our founding documents. And so we want justices and judges who are going to interpret the law according to uh, the Constitution, uh, which means that Democrats, on the one hand, are hardly ever, if ever, disappointed uh, by the decisions of liberal judges and justices. But Republicans, conservatives are disappointed a lot because we actually have a disagreement on the law. We have a disagreement on the the interpretation of the Constitution. That is why Justice Gorsuch has disappointed us. That is why uh, Justice uh, Kavanaugh has disappointed us because uh, Republican appointed justice and judges, uh, justices and judges do not simply go along with conservative activism. They actually look at the law. They interpret it sometimes according to the rest of us. They're right. Sometimes according to the rest of us, they're wrong. Um, but we are constantly disappointed by our judges and justices because of that difference in interpretation, whereas Democrats are not. They are interested in their ideology and what they believe to be right, even if that means creating a right out of thin air, like creating the right out of thin air of abortion, like they did in Roe v. Wade. Constitutionalists are are not concerned Mostly, usually they should not be with uh, what they believe or what they want to be right, but with what the law actually says. So when Democrats panic, which they are right now over RBG's death and the SCOTUS vacancy, when they say that RBG was holding our democracy together, what they are afraid of is constitutionalism. Like they are actually afraid of someone abiding by our the law of our land, our founding document. They're afraid of lacking an activist. RBG, in no sense, in in no sense whatsoever, was holding our democracy together. She was just ruling in favor of the left. That's what she continually did. Uh, This is a a big difference between the right and the left, going down to our basic worldview. Uh, The reason the left tends to idolize and deify politicians and justices and the right is continually disappointed by our politicians and our justices is because uh, the right tend to believe that or we should believe that politicians work for us rather than the other way around. So we believe what the founders believed about the government, that it is a government of, for, and by the people, that it does not have the power or the authority to create rights or to give us rights, but simply to recognize the rights that were given to us by our creator. Uh, that is what our Bill of Rights does. It doesn't give or create rights. It recognizes rights that pre-exist the formation of any government. So uh, we see the government as below our authority, and below God's authority. That means we don't deify justices, although we know they're important. So you're not going to see us have mental breakdowns over someone like Clarence Thomas dying or Antonin Scalia dying when he died a few years ago, the way that we have seen breakdowns over Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying. You're just not going to see it. And it's not just mental breakdowns, like personal mental breakdowns, like you're really disappointed. Okay, that's fine. And pay homage to her if you even cry, you know, whatever. That's that's fine. She is a historic figure. I have cried 
because of American historic figures dying, but it is not hysteria because I believe our democracy is falling apart. And that is what we're seeing right now in relation to Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. Uh, Reza Aslan, he is a liberal TV personality. He tweeted this. If they even try to replace RBG, we burn the entire effing thing down. Uh, someone who goes by the name of Charlotte Clymer is a, a liberal activist, said we are walking to Mitch McConnell's house, house to protest. Uh, Bo Williamson says this. Uh, it's another liberal blue check mark. We're shutting this country down if Trump and McConnell try to ram through an appointment before the election. Laura Bassett, another liberal journalist, said if McConnell rams someone through, there will be riots. She clarifies with a second tweet that there will be more and bigger riots because she knows the left has been rioting and looting and burning down buildings and cities for the past three months. And so the rest of us are like, okay, so just like more of the same, right? Just more temper tantrums. And here is AOC saying that Mitch McConnell is playing with fire. And to Mitch McConnell, Mm. we need to tell him that he is playing with fire. Richard Blumenthal, Democratic uh, congressman, says if Republicans recklessly and reprehensibly force a SCOTUS vote before the election, nothing is off the table. Nothing's off the table. Okay, Uh, that's, you know, an interesting an interesting statement to make when you consider the fact that their base has literally uh, been using violence to try to get their way for the past few months. But they know what they're doing. They're, They're not ignorant of the implications of their rhetoric. Nancy Pelosi said to George Stephanopoulos that she has arrows in her quiver. Uh, He suggests impeachment of the president and she doesn't deny it. So now we're talking about impeaching the president, not actually because he has done anything wrong, but just because they do not want him to abide by his constitutional duty to appoint a Supreme Court nominee. Uh, Listen to this viral TikTok of this girl freaking, freaking out. There are cuss words, but we will bleep it out. Holy you guys! I'm driving in a car, but I just got a notification that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died! Could this year get any worse? Ruth, you just had to make it to 2021! Guys, none of this is healthy. This is not normal. This is not normal behavior. This is not a normal mentality. I'm telling you, I'm not saying that there aren't crazy people who consider themselves on the right. I'm not saying that there aren't people, by the way, who idolize Donald Trump because I think that there are. And I think that is also very unhealthy. I'm telling you, you would not see this kind of reaction if Clarence Thomas, Justice Gorsuch, any of the conservative justices died, you would not see it. You didn't see this reaction when Antonin Scalia died. It was very sad. It did present somewhat of a constitutional crisis. And he was someone that we very much respected. And we uh, agreed as conservatives with the majority of his decisions. Uh, but you didn't see this kind of absolute freak out and the threat to tear down uh, American institutions or to burn down the country because we might not get our way. You just didn't see it. You won't see it. 
It's a divergence of worldviews. We see the world completely differently. We think about politicians and we think about the government completely differently. I would argue that one is healthy and one is not. Uh, They are also worried about Trump nominating um, and the Senate confirming a new justice because, well, A, they're afraid that it's going to take away their freedom, which it won't. Listen, your life will not change. I promise it will not change for the worse. You will have someone who cares about the Constitution. Like I said, Roe v. Wade is probably not going to be overturned. If it is, your life is not going to change, especially if you live in a liberal state. So you just let the legislative process play out like it should have in the first place. Your life is not going to change, okay? If Trump nominates and or if he uh, appoints a judge and then he or she is confirmed by the Senate. So our democracy is not going to crumble. Our republic is not going to go away. You have nothing to be scared of. Like you have nothing to worry about. That's number one. But they are also saying that this they're worried about this because this is hypocrisy. They're saying that in 2016, which this is true, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, said, look, after Antonin Scalia died uh, in 2016 and uh, Barack Obama appointed uh, Merrick Garland, the the Republican Senate said, no, we're, we're not going to try to confirm it. We're not even going to entertain this. We're just not we're not going to do it. And the argument that Mitch McConnell made, I wish he hadn't made because now it does put him in a pickle. He said, you know, you're a lame duck president. We're not going to do this right before the election, which makes it seem like now he's a huge hypocrite because he is saying and Republicans are saying now that, look, uh, yeah, we're going to do it. President Trump is still president. He's president, as RBG said. He is president for four years, not three years. He has the constitutional authority and responsibility to do this. The Senate has the constitutional and authority and ability to confirm his nominee. And so we're going to go ahead and do it. That's absolutely true. But they seem like hypocrites for not even entertaining that in 2016 when Barack Obama was president. Because their argument was that, oh, well, he's just a lame duck president and it's right before the election. We should allow the new president to decide that, which is the argument that now Democrats are making. Here's the difference. And I wish that they just would have been more upfront about this in 2016. The difference is, is that Republicans controlled the Senate. Democrats controlled the White House. Plain and simple, Republicans did not want to confirm uh, Barack Obama's nominee because they didn't want Barack Obama's nominee. They just didn't want it like they they didn't want a liberal justice on the Supreme Court. And that's why they decided that they were not going to go through with the confirmation process. And they said, hey, if Hillary Clinton gets elected and she wants to nominate Merrick Garland, OK, that's fine. We'll confirm. But we want to have the opportunity to not have to confirm another liberal justice. That was that was it. Plain and simple. And now because Republicans have the White House and Republicans have the Senate, they say, yeah, we want to confirm uh, a justice that is nominated by a Republican president because we are going to like that justice. It's just about politics. It's just about nominating and confirming someone that they want to confirm. That's it. Plain and simple. Democrats would do the exact same thing in this position. The only thing that I would change is that Mitch McConnell should have been honest about that. Back then, Democrats should have said, you know what? We would have done the same thing. They should realize that now everyone should have been a little bit more forthright, a little bit more honest and 
recognize that uh, the Senate does have the ability, does have the the power to make those kinds of decisions. There have only been, uh, Ted Cruz said this the other day, there have only been 10 situations uh, in 10 similar situations in which the White House and the Senate were controlled by two different parties. And right before an election, the Senate had to confirm the White House's judicial nominee. And only two in two of those 10 situations did they actually move to confirm the justice. And so it's very rare that it happens. It is even more rare. Only two times in American history has a uh, the separate party controlled Senate actually confirmed the judicial nominee before the election uh, when the White House is controlled by the opposing party. So it is not unprecedented to do what Mitch McConnell is doing right now. Both sides in some ways are being hypocritical. Here's a montage of 2016 uh, Democrats saying, look, the Senate run by Mitch McConnell needs to go ahead and confirm Merrick Garland or uh, at least go through the process uh, to possibly confirm Merrick Garland. The American people deserve a fully staffed court of nine. The president nominates and then the Senate advises and consents or not but they go forward with the process. What we're seeing here, and I hope this is temporary, is a disrespect for the Constitution. The Constitution is 100% clear. The President of the United States has the right to nominate someone to be a Justice of the Supreme Court. Senate's function is to hold hearings and to vote. The blockade on filling a naturally occurring vacancy, in my view, is harmful to the independence of the Article Three branch. You cannot keep a seat on the Supreme Court, which represents all of us. You cannot keep it vacant against the Constitution. Do pretty much everything they can to avoid acknowledging the legitimacy of our democratically elected president. The American people expect the president's nominee to be given a fair hearing and a timely vote in the Senate. Every day that goes by without a ninth justice is another day the American people's business is not getting done. I say to you, do your job. Vote for a Supreme Court nominee. Democrats in 2016 were right. Uh, The Senate didn't want to, like I said, because the Senate didn't want Obama's nominee. It really is that simple. They do want Trump uh, Trump's nominee. Like I said, Democrats would do the exact same thing. Uh, Senate Majority Leader uh, Democrat Harry Reid in 2013 got rid of the Senate filibuster for judicial nominees, making it easier for senators to confirm judges and justices. And so Democrats got themselves into this mess. That was Harry Reid's rule. He decided to make that change. And so what he has allowed for is Mitch McConnell making sure that Trump has as many judicial nominees confirmed as humanly possible, including the Supreme Court nominee that is going to be confirmed by the Senate. Uh, Yes, Democrats might threaten to burn the country down. They might threaten to riot. They might protest outside of Mitch McConnell's and Lindsey Graham's house, which is what they've done. Um... But they are ultimately powerless, I believe, in stopping this from happening. I mean, we already know some of the so-called arrows in their quiver, 
like Nancy Pelosi has described. By the way, she's in the House. I'm not really sure how many arrows she actually has. This is a Senate process. She thinks she's going to impeach the president. I think that is absolutely crazy. If I were a Democratic strategist, which thank the Lord I'm not, I would be saying that is an absolutely crazy decision before the election. I think that that is uh, uh, just Uh, That would not be effective. That would not be effective to win more votes for Joe Biden, especially those moderate votes that he is trying so hard to get. But we already know some of the other arrows in their quiver because we saw it with Kavanaugh. I mean, they accused this man openly. Kamala Harris being probably the cruelest of them all. Uh, They accused this man not just of sexual assault when he was 17 based on no corroboration and no verifiable evidence whatsoever. They accused him of gang rape, gang rape when he was in college. Now, the woman, Julie Swetnick, who came out and accused him of that actually said, well, I I don't think that Kavanaugh was a part of it. I I don't I'm not really sure um, if he was there. Actually, I don't really remember. So she actually came out and said, oh, the original testimony that I gave was phony. It wasn't real. And yet Democrats ran with that anyway. I mean, they tried to ruin this man's life based on totally unsubstantiated allegations in front of his wife and kids, in front of his family. They tried to humiliate him and drag him through the mud. They did not care one bit how his life ended up. Did not care one bit about his reputation. They did not care one bit about the truth. And you know what I was just reading in Proverbs? This just came to mind. I don't Remember, I think it's Proverbs 6 talking about what the Lord hates, the seven things the Lord hates, or I think it's the six things the Lord hates and the seven things that he calls an abomination. And one of them is a false witness. The Lord hates a false witness. He hates slander. He hates deliberate lying. He hates deceit. And uh, Democrats, I think many of them knowingly bared false witness when it came to Kavanaugh. And if there is one event over the past few years that I think radicalized a lot of conservatives, and what I mean by radicalized is simply that we saw that there is a party in the United States that is willing to stop at absolutely nothing to gain power and to get what they want. And we've certainly seen that manifested in violent ways over the the past few months, I think that opened the eyes of a lot of conservatives, including me, uh, to see, okay, what we are up against as far as a party. I'm not saying all Democrats are like that at all. I'm not saying everyone on the left is like that. But the people that we saw in power and what they were willing to do to Brett Kavanaugh based on no evidence whatsoever, simply because they were afraid that they wouldn't be able to kill, uh, kill enough babies via Roe v. Wade. It just showed me. It showed me that they will stop at nothing. They do not care about you. They do not care about your family. They don't care about the truth. They don't care about your reputation whatsoever. I will never forget watching. First, I watched Ford's testimony, which I thought was emotionally compelling. And, you know, I don't have anything bad to say about her. But then I watched Brett Kavanaugh's and I will never forget what I felt when I watched him give his testimony. And I knew right there, That was the moment I think that my eyes opened up and I realized, okay, so they're really not, they're not afraid. They're not afraid to ruin a man's life in front of his family for the sake of power. Okay. So that's, that's what we're dealing with. And the fact that there are some conservatives now saying that, okay, so if we don't confirm a nominee, um, 
maybe if we just play nice and and we listen to the threats of the Democrats to they're saying that they're going to burn everything down, that they're going to tear down our institutions, they're going to pack the courts. Maybe if we just listen to their threats and we say, okay, we won't nominate and we won't confirm anyone, then then they won't pack the courts and they won't do all of these things. Are you kidding me? Like that is the most naive argument that I have ever heard. If you've ever witnessed the Democratic Party, like if you saw what they did during the Kavanaugh hearings, do you think that these people care about fairness? Not saying that there aren't any corrupt and evil people in the Republican Party, that there aren't any hypocrites in the Republican Party, because there are. But let's not pretend like the people in power in the Democratic Party care one flying flip about fairness. That's not what this is about. This is about power. This is about being able to push their ideology as far as they possibly can. And you know how I know that we that it's not going to matter whether or not we confirm this nominee. Um, It's not going to make a difference uh, on what the Democrats decide to do, because they have been talking about packing the court for a long time. So packing the court would mean that if uh, they get power in the Senate and Joe Biden wins the presidency, that they would try to expand the number of Supreme Court justices to, say, 13, and they would uh, pack those vacant seats with liberal activist judges, uh, justices, so that they would be able to do more of what they want to do, not according to the Constitution, but according to their left wing activism, as far left as they can possibly go to make it impossible for conservatives to have a voice on the Supreme Court. So that that is what they're threatening. That is what they're talking about. And they're trying to say, oh, we will do this if you confirm a nominee and Joe Biden wins. No, no, no. You guys have been talking about this for a long time. You have been talking about packing the courts long before this situation. You've been talking about abolishing the Electoral College because they don't like how much power and how much say it gives to the middle of the country states that they just don't like. They've talked about reconfiguring the Senate. They don't like that somewhere like Wyoming has two senators and California has two senators, even though their population is so disparate. I guess not understanding that that was deliberate, that you have a a number of representatives in the House of Representatives in D.C. based on population size, but every state has two senators. It's supposed to be that way to give more weight to the less populous states. They want to reconfigure the Senate so that's no longer the case. They've talked about giving statehood to Puerto Rico and Guam to get rid of the filibuster, all without the consent of the governed, so they can have power and keep power. And there are no longer any systems in place to check their power or to challenge their power. That is what they want. They see American institutions and the American Constitution and the will of a, of a large portion of the American people as an impediment to their ideology. And because they believe that government is God, that is the worldview of leftism, not everyone on the left. But that is the worldview of leftism, whether you believe it or not, Um, because they believe that the government is God. They believe that they have the right to exert that power over the people by whatever means possible. They mean literally burning things down and metaphorically burning things down and building things according to their choosing. And at the same time. They want to call people on the right fascists. Ibram X. Kendi had the audacity to say that the GOP are the fascists and that they will do anything to maintain power. How can you project that much? Like, how is it possible to describe a party like that and actually be exactly describing your own party and your own ideology? 
Like, have we not seen over the past few months that these people will do absolutely anything for power, including burning down businesses, burning down cities? They are not concerned. They're not concerned with the rule of law. They're not concerned with American institutions. They see these things, as I've said, as an impediment to their ideology, which they believe they should be able to force upon everyone else because they know best because, again, the government is God. Uh, Is it the GOP that's burning down buildings and burning down cities? Is it the GOP that is saying we don't care about the Constitution? We don't want the Electoral College. We don't want certain states to have a say. Uh, We don't think that certain states should be evenly represented in the Senate. Is it the GOP that is saying, hey, we're uh, going to pack the courts? Is it the GOP that's harassing random diners in Washington, D.C., making them raise their fist in black power and chant whatever chants they want to? Is it the GOP that's stopping civilian vehicles in the streets, harassing them, assaulting them, trying to make them say the things they want them to say? No, those are all people on the left the anarchy, the harassment, the, the fascism is coming from the left. And it's all projection. It's all a tactic. Accuse the other side of that of which you are guilty. Uh, President Trump has said that he wants to nominate a woman. And um, I think that's probably wise. Now, I wish that we didn't have to play this intersectionality game on the right. I think that we should just nominate the most... Uh, the most qualified candidate that is something that is now foreign on the left. It is um, a a lot about intersectionality and your different identity groups and and things like that. It's uh, unfortunately the idea of just merit has become has gone out of fashion among a lot of liberal activists. But I think that that's something that we should hold to. Now, that said, the female options for the nominee are all extremely qualified. I just don't think we should pick someone because they're a woman. At the same time, though, I understand that strategy because we saw what the Democrats did to Kavanaugh. And it's going to be harder to do uh, to someone like Amy Coney Barrett. It's you're probably not going to be able to find like uh, a guy that's going to come out and say, yeah, when I was 17, Amy Coney Barrett assaulted me at a party. Like you're probably not going to be able to find a bunch of accusers, real or not, toward a woman. It's going to be much harder to do. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett seems to be at the top of the list. We know that she visited the White House. She's got a great record as a judge. Uh, She is a mom, I believe, of seven. She is a Catholic from New Orleans, and she has a very illustrious career. And she was on the short list um, a few a couple years ago when Brett Kavanaugh was nominated and uh, uh, she already has attacks coming her way, and we have a taste of what those attacks are going to look like. This is from Ron Charles at the Washington Post. He tweeted this. Amy Coney Barrett, the judge at the top of Trump's list to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg, has said we should always remember that a legal career, that a, quote, legal career is but a means to an end, and that end is building the kingdom of God. And, of course, they tweeted this as if it was a bad thing. Well, let me let me break this to you for people who aren't Christians. All Christians believe this in every endeavor in life. We believe that that is our goal to advance the kingdom of God. Uh, that's our that, that's our goal in life. Like that is our aim. And guys, Christians have been running a lot of things in this country for a very long time. 
Whether you believe it or not, they've done a heck of a good job and a heck of a good job securing your rights and your liberty. That doesn't mean the church has never been wrong. That doesn't mean that the majority of the church or the Roman Catholic Church has never been on the wrong side of issues because unfortunately, of course, that has happened. But the idea that this is novel, that all of a sudden we are worried about the Christian faith in regards to someone's ability to be able to judge rightly, that's crazy. Like Christians have been on the Supreme Court. They have been uh, federal judges for as long as America has existed, as long as we have had federal judges in the Supreme Court. So the only thing that has changed is the increase in anti-Christian bigotry on the left. It hasn't, the, the influence of Christianity certainly has not increased over the past few decades, but anti-Christian sentiment certainly has, especially on the left. And so you're going to see these kinds of attacks on her faith. What's interesting is that at the same time that they say, oh, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are, they are such good Catholics. They are such devout Catholics. And, you know, that's a really good thing because look, Donald Trump is, is so ungodly, but Joe Biden, he is this great Catholic and that's going to help him be a great president. But when Amy Coney Barrett is actually a devout Catholic, all of a sudden that's an impediment to her being able to discern and judge rightly. So what is it? Is faith a good thing or is it a bad thing? Uh, This is from Beth Reinhardt at Washington Post. She tweeted, Potential Trump SCOTUS nominee Amy Coney Barrett wrote an influential decision making it easier for students accused of sexual assault to challenge universities' handling of their cases. And of course, again, they're saying that this is a bad thing. What this tells me is that Amy Coney Barrett cares about due process. We should care about due process for accusers and the accused. I talked about uh, with Monique Dusan a few weeks ago. I did an interview with her that I highly recommend if you haven't listened to it. Leaving, I think it was called Critical Race Theory for Biblical Unity. And uh, she talked about her journey from believing in critical theory to understanding scripture rightly and how she had to reconcile with the idea that God actually very much cares about how the accused or the accuser is treated. There is a right and righteous way to uh, to treat both the accuser and the accused. The accused also has to be treated fairly. God invented due process. He invented uh, he invented the necessity of two or three witnesses. If you read his laws and uh, how he describes the uh, due process in the court that judged Israel, you will see God's heart and God's definition of justice that still should be binding on our ideas today. And it actually is binding. It was binding for the the founders. That is where they got their inspiration for what justice should look like. And so Amy Coney Barrett is simply saying, yeah, there is a fair and right and righteous way to treat both the accused and the accuser. And just because of the Me Too movement and just because of a particular ideology that says that we have to believe all women no matter what, that doesn't mean that we throw due process out the window. So I'm very encouraged by the fact that Amy Coney Barrett cares about due process as a potential uh, as a, a potential justice on the highest court in our land. And I'm very troubled that there apparently are some people on the left who would be okay if their justice doesn't care about uh, due process at all. Um, I think that's all I'm going to cover today. There are a few more things. Well, you know, let me say one thing because so many of you guys have, have asked about this. This is a completely different subject. And so some of you guys might have seen that there is a story going around that there was a whistleblower out of an immigration center in Georgia. 
about women getting hysterectomies, getting forced hysterectomies. Actually, the headlines were mass forced hysterectomies are happening at this ICE detention center. And uh, it was one whistleblower who came out and said that. And now uh, they are investigating this. I believe that uh, it was announced last week that this is now being investigated, which I think is good. The fact is right now, we don't have evidence of this. We have one person's testimony. I I think it's great that she that she came forward and that she said this is happening. If this is something that's actually happening, then I think it's wonderful that this nurse stepped forward and said, hey, this is going on. We should at least look into it. I agree. We should look into this. This should be a nonpartisan issue. If women in these detention centers are being forced into hysterectomies, then everyone everywhere should be outraged. You should be outraged by that. I will go out and protest with you over that. That is insane. That is communist China stuff. If that is happening, I don't know that that is happening. And and let me clarify some things too. If that is happening, that does not mean that is a Donald Trump policy. Like that does not mean that's a Republican policy by any means. Now, if it is, that would be that would be mind blowing and that would be enough for me not to vote for Donald Trump. If that was a, a Donald Trump policy that there should be forced mass hysterectomies in ICE detention centers of immigrant women, then yeah, then then that would be enough for me. We have no evidence whatsoever that this is a Trumpian policy. If this is happening, if these are forced hysterectomies, mass forced hysterectomies, it could be a rogue evil doctor that needs to be put in jail for a very, very long time. There could be a group of evil doctors or an evil medical team there that is doing this without the knowledge of any administration, without the knowledge of any politicians, without the knowledge of their boss. We don't know. So to automatically say that this is a Trumpian policy, that this is coming from the top, that this is somehow the fault of Republicans, if this is truly happening, that is making leaps that we do not have the evidence for whatsoever. It is enough if this is happening for us to be outraged. Like I said, I think everyone uh, across the aisle uh, should absolutely be outraged about this. If this is happening, I don't know if it's happening. I do think that there is enough. One testimony to me is enough to look into something like this. I don't know if they're forced. I don't know if it's a rogue doctor. I don't know if there is a policy. I don't know. And until that, I am going to reserve my judgment on any particular politician. Because I and by the way, how long has this been happening? Was this happening under Obama? Has this been happening for a very long time? Has it only been happening for a few months? Why? So there are a lot of questions that we need to ask before we say this is Donald Trump's America and Donald Trump did this. I have a very, very strong feeling that Donald Trump, if this is happening, has no idea that this is happening. That doesn't mean that he shouldn't be held accountable and that politicians shouldn't be held accountable because I believe they should. That doesn't mean that they were knowingly contriving this situation. So. Again, I I don't know what is true there. We're going to dig into it. And there's going to be an official investigation I now read. And so that's a very good thing. And this should absolutely come to an end. And I will reach across the aisle with whoever to try to get this to stop. That is a moral travesty. If I care about that happening in communist China, forced abortions, forced sterilizations, then you can bet that I care about it happening here in Georgia. 
Um, okay, there's so much more we could talk about, but I think I'm going to end right there. Um, on Friday, I am going to talk to Christopher Rufo, which I'm really excited about. He has exposed um, how these damaging critical race theory ideologies have actually infiltrated our highest federal uh, agencies and how they are wreaking havoc there and uh, what we can do, what the president should do, what politicians should do and people in these agencies should do to stop it. What are the implications of all of this? And I'm just really excited for him to kind of unveil the goings on there. So make sure you tune into that conversation. I will see you back here on Friday.